For me, it was really those moments where at like the deepest, deepest down like root place that I could experience something like in my being, I feel like those moments really showed me that real life is like not about keeping it together and is not about having it together all the time. It is about connection. Hi, welcome to Undefined with me, Marissa Tashman, your host. Today, I am so excited to share this conversation with Simi Bodich, who used to be an attorney and then transitioned her career to being a health coach and intuitive eating counselor. She focuses a lot on women's empowerment and helping women let go of perfection and cultivating a relationship based on self-trust, compassion, and self-connection. She also started somewhat recently, I think in March, which was amazing timing for this, an online bar workout platform where she records videos and posts them to her website and it's called Unmeasured. It's amazing. I'm a subscriber and I love her workouts. She is all about body kindness and doing what feels good for your body and her workouts are really hard and I'm always sore the next day, which I think feels nice. And then she's also getting trained to be a doula, which I think is just so beautiful. And I got to know Simi. I started working with her actually as my health coach um, last fall. And we worked together for about six months. And then we've stayed in touch. She helped me with a lot of my issues with perfection. And I have been able to grow my own self-confidence and my own love for myself and sort of release the perfectionist tendencies that I have had for a very long time and that were very limiting for my life because perfection is an illusion and a completely unrealistic expectation to set for yourself. So she helped me tremendously. I'm actually in the middle right now of doing a small group coaching program with her with two other women who are all amazing and we talk about I mean really every topic from like friends to work career dating you know food issues perfectionism just generally and it's really amazing um, I've been able to be so intentional about my own personal growth with Simi and I truly love love talking to her she feels like she it's kind of like you're just getting a giant hug whenever you have a conversation with her and I can almost hear her voice just sitting on my shoulder as I go through my day and sometimes struggle with things that are related to perfectionist tendencies and she's always been helpful with reframing ideas and really just helping me let go and be more true to myself and ultimately to love myself which of course is a lifelong process but I'm in a completely different place now than I was a year ago and a lot of that is due to my work with her so I'm very excited to share this conversation with all of you we talk about many things um, including giving yourself permission to feel emotions and she's also a mom so we talk about how she gives her kids permission to feel their emotions we talk a lot about self-compassion and also this interesting dichotomy of feelings that Simi experienced when she became a new mom and lost her father around the same time. And then we also talk about her doula training, which she's been working on for the past few months um, since, you know, we've been all in quarantine. So it's an online training, which is like awesome. And she's so excited about it. And I'm sure that that excitement will be able to be heard um, through this podcast. So I'm very excited to share this and I hope that you enjoy. Thank you so much. I'm seriously so excited about this and I've been looking forward to it all week. Me too, Marissa. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I guess let's start. I would love to hear about I know this is about undefined, but I would love to hear about a defining moment in your life. 
like a big choice you had to make, a big mistake, leaps of faith, you know, we'll just like get right into it. (laughs) I love it. When I think about my life, I really feel like there have been four really defining moments in more like recent history. So like past, we'll say past five years, um, the birth of both of my children and also the death of my dad, those Mm -hmm. three moments I feel like have really defined me and have allowed me maybe even more than define have allowed me to refine who I am and how I feel like I show up in this world even more than that how I see the world and relate to it um I've had moments in my life like a career change that I definitely have defined and redirected like the trajectory of my life. But to me, that almost feels like more those, that redefining feels more like surface level, but deep down inside, I feel like those two births and that death have really defined me like on a much deeper level in the more recent years. Yeah, I'd love to hear more about that. And when did your dad pass away? My dad passed away. It will be um, three years uh, this year around Thanksgiving. So he passed away shortly after Osha's first birthday. Okay. And how did that – because it's so interesting to think about just the concept of – or the dichotomy between life and death. And here you were nursing this Mm one-year-old, and then you had to – contemplate and deal with this like huge death in your family. Yeah. How did, yeah, I would love to hear more about just how day to day you, you struggled with those, those two seemingly conflicting ideas. Well, it's almost as if when I got pregnant with Osh that instantly I started to see the both and of life like every moment since like basically since very early on in my pregnancy with him up until like this point in my life. And I feel like this is really the way that I would say that it has like redefined things for me is that since then, I feel like every moment has been marked for me with both like light and dark at the same time. And so became pregnant with him and it was during like pretty early on during my pregnancy where my dad got his um, cancer diagnosis and it was like from that moment on everything was both like joyful and painful at the same time Um, and I was having firsts with my new baby. So then Osh is born. I'm having all of these like first moments with him while simultaneously like experiencing lasts with my dad. And, but also first with you having to deal with the lasts. Yeah. And so it was all these things at once. And it's like me in my role as a mother and me in my role as a daughter. And so it was all of these things happening at the same time. And then everything that was like a joyful moment with my dad was also like a painful moment because it's like, oh my gosh, will he meet future kids? If we have future kids, or will this be like the last birthday that he's at? Or will this be, you know, his last birthday or our last Christmas together? And so everything that was joyful, even if it was a joyful exchange between me and my dad, there were these um, more challenging, like hard questions underneath. And everything was layered with a lot of unknown. Right. So it was just constant questions of, will this be our last? Will this be our only? And then the challenge of wanting to be very much like in the moment 
and thinking like, if this is the last, wanting it to be good and wanting to it to be happy and wanting it to be like this really wonderful experience while also knowing how important it is to give full permission for all of the emotions to come up, but not wanting like every moment, every like last moment with my dad to be marked by, you know, melting into tears while feeling like that's what I wanted to do. Right. Did you feel like you had to protect him from your emotions? Definitely felt that because my dad, um, he, well, first of all, like one of the most endearing things about my dad is that he was very superstitious and my dad was Serbian. He grew up in what is now the former Yugoslavia and he did not come to the U S until his 30s. So I'm Croatian American and he immigrated here in his thirties. Um, and Serbs are like traditionally very superstitious and my dad was all of those things like he basically every stereotype about a Serb like my dad was <laughs> um, tell me a couple of them <laughs> so he had so many superstitions number one he would never drive the car backwards before he would drive it forward so you always had to drive forwards before backwards so like in our garage, he would literally drive the car forward like one inch before he would back out of the garage. <laughs> um, so that was one. There's not allowed to be like a through breeze in the house because I think the superstition is that it could steal your soul. So you would never have um, like a door open if you had a window open because the breeze could just sweep through and get you. <laughs> <laughs> were you afraid of that when you were oh. a kid? Well, it's interesting because I will giggle about his superstitions, yet I have my like own superstitions. And so I I definitely know that I picked up on like aspects of my dad's personality and like little quirks. And my dad and I, like our deepest connection was spiritual. We could have very deep, long conversations about spirituality and faith and um, our beliefs about like what is beyond this world. And we shared a lot of that and we shared certain sensitivities. And so that is my deepest connection with my dad. And so I definitely have those more um, like superstitious slash like spiritual quirks, (laughs) like not necessarily the ones that he has. Like I'm fine backing the car up. And like, I love love a good through breeze through the house. But like other things, if I see a penny on the sidewalk, I will always look if it's heads up, I will pick it up. I will make a wish. Like I will never walk underneath a ladder. And so I, I'm superstitious for sure. Just like in different, probably my superstitions are probably like more American because of mm-hmm. growing up here, but I for right. sure picked up on them. That's so funny. So then you felt like when you were experiencing those periods of pain and joy at the same time you felt like you had to protect him from the pain. Yes. So to bring, to bring this all back around, um, he was very superstitious. And one thing that was very important for him is that he felt like if we talked about, he would not even call it cancer. I do not think my dad once said, I have cancer. I'm pretty sure you know, it was my mom who would share things with me and my dad would refer to it as, you know, the thing or the situation. And he was very private about it. He did not even want like our family friends to know. My, my dad's mom actually passed away the same year that he did. She died months before he did. And she did not know that he was sick. She, he did not share with her. Um, she was still in Serbia, but they talked often. Um, and, Like he did not want people in his extended family. He did not want our family friends to know because he did not want people to look at him differently or to pity him or to feel badly for him or to talk about it in a negative way because he felt like he needed positive. He was sort of like, (laughs) like positive vibes only kind of guy around. Yeah. He didn't want to be defined by that. Yes. And I really think 
until moments before he passed away, I really believe that he fully believed that a healing miracle was coming and he needed to focus on that and he needed all of us to focus on that. And so there was this, there was this, um, pressure that I felt whether it was real or made up inside to not get like really sad or show a lot of, um, sadness or, fear um Mm -hmm. because it was important for my dad that he believe in like hope and a miracle and healing and that everyone around him I think he wanted those of us that he let in and there were very few people that he let in during this time um to also be very much like in that mindset and in that energy when we were around him And so again, it's like the both and, right? Like wanting to be hopeful, wanting to believe in a miracle and having part of me that very much did. And then also the the reality of like, what are the medical, what is the medical diagnosis that's coming back? Like what do the labs say? And so knowing, like as a person, I do believe in miracles um, and wanting that for him. And in a lot of ways, I do see miracles that showed up on his journey. My dad at the end of his life took a very drastic turn. Everything was going very, very well. And all of a sudden things started declining at a rapid rate that his doctors shared that they had no idea like how the cancer had gone from what it was to basically being everywhere. And we had a turnaround of like in less than a week, my dad was fine, had gotten back from like international travel to he passed away. And so there was a sort of shocking turn at the end, but he experienced no pain and essentially very, very little suffering because of the quick turn. And even though I don't think it was the miracle that he had been hoping for or that any of us, of course, hoped for, I do feel that it was a miracle. That's beautiful that he experienced no pain and no suffering. Mm -hmm. And what you were saying, it just sort of reminded me of my own experience with my mom when she was diagnosed with cancer when I was a teenager. And thankfully, you know, she was okay and she was super young when she was diagnosed. But I remember feeling that sense of wanting to protect her from my pain. And I think at the time, you know, I was so young, I didn't even know how to identify my own feelings. But I remember feeling that pressure on about wanting to protect her from because she was going through so much and I didn't want to put that, you know, onto her also. But then... How do you feel like you, because you have to release that pain in some way. And this question sort of can hit on both when you lost your dad, but also just generally in your life. Like, how do you release that pain and that hurt that you're feeling inside? And I know in some moments you have to hold on to it in order to protect the other people around you. But it, in and at some point, it has to come out. Yeah, absolutely. It does have to, it does have to come out. And I think that I saw something on Instagram and I will find it and send it to you so that you can like link it in the show notes or whatever, because yeah, please. It, I can't remember the account that it came from, but obviously I want this person to have credit, but it was saying that emotional maturity, it was basically along the lines of emotional maturity is knowing when to make your needs and your feelings the priority and when to make someone else's. Mm. And I really feel that going through this experience, both with my dad and also like parenting my children. Oh, totally. It's this constant um, dance. And it was with my dad, it was, and with my children, it is this constant dance and almost like trying to find the harmony of when my needs and my feelings get to be the most important and when they have to wait. And for me, it was finding moments separate from being with my dad 
um, moments with my sister, with my husband, with my mom, with good friends, with my therapist to honor what it was that I was feeling and to be able to say it and to share it and to let the tears flow and to really get to express what I was afraid of and to express like when I wasn't feeling hopeful Um, away from my dad because his feelings and his experience got to be the most important thing when we were together. And also it was very important for me to find moments to let him know what he meant to me. Right. And to get to articulate to him, like my feelings about him. Yeah. Because like, I I know that knowing that if he, if there came a day like where he wasn't here, I didn't want to have things that were unsaid. Right. Of course. And I'm sure, especially because you both connected with each other on such a spiritual level, do you feel like you still connect with him? Definitely. And I mean, I feel like sometimes I talk to my dad like more now than I did when he was here. And I very much feel connected to him. And I'm so grateful for that because that was something that I didn't know if I would feel. It's like, I don't know. I've gone through this before. Like if he passes away, I, I may not feel connected to him at all. Um, but I definitely do. And so that is, Oh, that's a wonderful feeling. Um, and I'm also so grateful that I gave myself the gift of sharing with him how I felt about him. And my dad and I had at times a very tumultuous relationship Mm -hmm. and we had really worked through and healed all of that. And so it was important for me that he knew that I really felt that like healing and forgiveness deep down. Like it was important for me to have that, that repair and closure that was felt and known for both of us. Um, So that I never had to look back and think, Oh my gosh, I hope he knows that I don't like that against him. Right. Totally. And I'd love to talk more just about honoring your own feelings. And I know we've worked on this together in the work that we've done because I struggle with that, you know, deeply. And I know that you used to struggle with that as well. And I know when your dad passed away, you were at a place where you had learned how to honor your own feelings. But can you tell me a little bit more about that journey from not knowing how to honor them and not giving yourself permission to honor them? to just really where you are now. Definitely. So for so long in my life, I really operated from a place of essentially being completely disconnected to what was going on internally and being completely plugged into like everything going on outside of myself. So a lot of people pleasing, a lot of perfectionist tendencies, a lot of really like essentially trying to be a chameleon to shape myself into what I believed would make other people happy or what I believed that they wanted to see or who I believed that they wanted to hang out with. And this ranged from everything from, you know, hanging out with friends on the playground in middle school up to picking a career that I thought would, um, you know, make my dad happy or be impressive for people to hear me say that that was my job. And it, it wasn't an intentional choice of I'm going to deny myself to please others or to do the thing that I perceive as being pleasing to others. It was so, it was so much more subconscious. It really, had become my like default way of existing and was such a coping mechanism. And so I did not have a lot of emotional coping skills. Instead, I just tried to please and manipulate myself to 
basically manipulate how other people saw me and felt about me. And I think right. people pleasing in its nature is a manipulative way of totally. I mean, it's like reliance on this external validation almost. Totally. And I did have big emotions. So I would have <laughs> very epic very, very epic meltdowns, like where I would start crying and I would not be able to stop crying. And then I would be almost experience this like emotional hangover for days after because everything would build up and build up and build up and build up. And then I was like a volcano that would just explode on my own. Sometimes to someone who I was very close to, right? Like my mom for sure, like bless my mom, got the brunt of it. Um, because she's someone who I feel so safe with. Tim, definitely, who's my husband, um, he is someone who got a lot of it. And then, like, occasionally a really good friend. Like, my best friend Joss has experienced, like, little moments of me, you know, having these, like, little explosions. Because they're people who I feel so safe with. And even at a moment where it felt impossible to let my guard down to the world. Like I felt their love and so could let my guard down a little bit and then everything would just kind of come tumbling out. Totally. Um, Did you experience feelings of guilt for feeling badly? Like that emotional hangover? I experienced feelings of guilt for like unleashing it on someone else. Right. And then I would experience feelings of what's wrong with me that I can't just have it together all the time. Oh, totally resonate with that. That's like, yeah, just totally my life story, I feel like. I mean, not as much anymore because of you, partially. But um, (laughs) yeah, it's like this feeling that we have to have it all together all the time. Otherwise, we're a failure or a disappointment or not lovable in some way. Absolutely. And I think for, I think for me, one of the reasons why the like new life and the death in the last, you know, four years of my life has been so redefining is that even though I had done so much work in my relationship with myself and learning healthier coping mechanisms and learning how to feel my feelings and really undoing a lot of perfectionist behaviors, all that healing my relationship with food and doing a lot of body image work, even though all of that had happened before that moment, for me, it was really those moments where at like the deepest, deepest down like root place that I could experience something like in my being, I feel like those moments really showed me that real life is like not about keeping it together and is not about having it together all the time. It is about connection. Totally. And it's like those messy parts can often make us feel more connected to each other. Yes. When we show that vulnerability. Totally. And seeing like I feel like when I met both of my when I met both both of my kids, there was this like moment of feeling like nothing else matters, and not not nothing else matters, but this baby, but nothing else matters, but being like in connection with other human beings and like loving each other, you know, like that totally. um, that kind of like universal truth. And then in my dad passing away, this feeling of also seeing through like his eyes and his experience at the end of his life and like my memories of him that no, really nothing else matters but those things. And a lot of stuff that we get caught up in, like worrying about, does everybody like me or what do people think of me or do I have the most impressive resume? Like those kinds of things that I have been very um, caught up in in the past, really deeply seeing that that is not what is going to matter at the end. And 
yes, you may need to work and hopefully, like for me, I need to work. I love to work. I want to do work that is meaningful to me and that matters to me and I feel like is making a contribution in the in the world and to other people. And I also do not believe that at the end of my life, I am going to look back and be focused on like the work accolades. Right. Totally. I'd also love to hear more about what practices you incorporate into your daily life to like practice that sense of authenticity and tuning into yourself. I guess that's what it really boils down to. For me, a practice that is, it's like one of the few practices that never goes away for me is prayer. Um, a lot of, a lot of prayer, a lot of relying on, for me, it's like relying on God. And I know everybody has their own, their own like understanding and belief system. So I think, you know, it's whatever, whatever your belief system is, but for me, relying on God and relying on God's love and knowing that for me, it's like, that's where my worth and enoughness comes from. And I can rest in that. And I can, I can operate in my life, in my relationships from that place. And that also allows me to experience the permission to not have it all together or to have like a hard conversation or to make a mistake and then come back and say, Hey, I made that mistake and I'm really, and I'm really sorry. Can you forgive me? Like to me in that love is a lot of forgiveness and grace. And so when I am praying and when I'm coming from that place, I feel like I'm able to be my real self, including moments where I do make mistakes or moments where I need grace or where I need forgiveness or where I need help um, from someone else. And that is, that's like my always forever practice um, and something that I come back and connect to like so many times through the day. And I talk to my dad a lot when I'm praying too. And so it's the feeling of, okay, a connection to God, to that, you know, that like universal, like power and love, but also right. um, a connection to, I feel like these other people who I, who I love and I, I feel like are, are watching out for me and are, and they're part, part of that. Yeah, totally. Um, and then just as a mom, how do you, I don't know if even teach is the right word, but how do you encourage your kids to do the same thing and tune into themselves? And maybe with Yasi, she's a little bit, I don't know how communicative she is yet, <laughs> you know, but no. with Osh, I'm, I'm sure that he probably has a lot of feelings. So how do you encourage him to express them and encourage him to, to know within himself that he has permission to do that? So I ask him a lot of questions like, how are you feeling? We try to validate emotions in our house. So if I can see that he's like very upset, I'll say something like, I can see, I can see that that made you really upset. Um, just really trying to acknowledge his emotions and acknowledge them in like a neutral way where it's like, yeah, this is a feeling and you're allowed to have this feeling. Um, and then with that, trying to help him to learn um, appropriate, safe, and healthy ways to express those emotions, right? So it's like, oh, I can see you're really, I can see you're really upset. Like, I'm not going to let you hit me. But right. if you want to go into your room and punch a pillow or scream, like, you're allowed to do that. When I get upset, I want to scream. Like, I want to punch something. And really helping him to know his feelings are okay, they're appropriate, and also then trying to teach him boundaries of what healthy expression of those emotions look like um, totally. is huge right now with him like just turning four. And if there are any parents of like smaller kids who are practicing this and are looking for a great resource, like I 
cannot sing the praises of Janet Lansbury enough. She has just, she's like in, Tim, Tim and I are like, what would Janet do? Like we just, <laughs> she's like sitting on your shoulder. She's like our little, she's like our little parenting angel guides us her book. Um, no Bad Kids and her podcast Unruffled. Like I do not know what we would do without her voice, without her teaching and her resources. So number one, it's just made me realize like how much time life requires, like just (laughs) to learn how to do things, to figure things out. Like you've got to have time and space to move through an emotion. Like you have to have time and space. And then It's also given me so much more compassion for myself as an adult where it's like, I'm still learning things. First of all, I'm learning. I'm learning like little mirrors. Yes. And so it's just given me this like newfound way of looking at things where I'm like, you don't have to just rush through everything. Like give yourself time to figure it out and to get better at it. Right. Totally. Do you feel like your compassion for yourself as a mom has increased? Yes, totally, 100%. Um, Was that something that you really struggled with when Osh was first born? For me, the like biggest personal work in parenting has not been has not been figuring out how to be compassionate with myself, although there is a lot of that. It's been not well, it's not been not projecting my anxiety on them. It's been projecting <laughs> my anxiety on them and then realizing I'm doing it and then like needing to like backtrack from that and undo that. <laughs> How does that manifest? Oh, people. Like, do you have an example? Oh, I have so many examples. Um, as a formal, former people pleaser, I felt as though I had released so much of that. And then all of a sudden as a parent, I have these little beings who have minds of their own and are learning how to like navigate social interactions. And there's so much behavior that happens like in toddler time where you are teaching them like social boundaries through them basically pushing those boundaries. Right. And I have had so, so both of my children are biters, like have been like, have like are bit, they've bit me. Um, I mean, Yazzie, it's like, we're in a pandemic, so she doesn't see other kids, but like, Osh bit other kids. And as a former people, <laughs> I cannot even tell you the anxious place that that took me. Like, it took me down. And I had to work through so much internal anxiety about people judging him, people judging me. Is he going to have friends? Will we, anybody want to interact with us again? <laughs> Do people yeah. think I'm like the worst parent in the entire world? I mean, just a complete downward anxiety spiral based on what do other how will other people perceive him or me because of this behavior and so there were certain things there have been certain things that have been like so deeply triggering to that part of me um as a parent and I have had to do so much work because like your kid biting someone else is not ideal and it's certainly like it's a behavior that you have to teach your child like not to have you know and it's but right, of course, but it's common. Yes, it's common and it's part of development. And so it's been interesting to notice how certain things that are part of natural development have been so deeply triggering to me because of like my past wounds that I thought were healed. And then clearly it's like a wake up call that they're not. <laughs> right, of course. <laughs> and how it like becomes about you in a sense. Yeah, totally. And- Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, it's like, they're just projections of, I guess we we project our own, the things that we've suppressed inside of ourselves, we project that onto other people, including our own children. 
Yes. And it's like I, as an adult, know to go into a social situation and not bite someone, right? <laughs> right. I hope so. Right. It's like I can navigate – I can navigate a situation and I don't feel like I'm people pleasing by just being like an adult, right? With just basic social etiquette. And so I can move through social situations without that tension. Um, And of course there may be like personality clashes. It's not, I mean, I'm not everybody's favorite person. Everybody is not my favorite person. And I've gotten to a place where I'm comfortable with that. But then it's like you throw a little kid in the mix who is just developing and teething and all these things. Yeah. Something like that happens. And it was, it was like the bottom fell out (laughs) of all the work (laughs) that I had done. Um, And so it's been interesting um, to do over these last like really three years, a whole new level of that like work in myself so that my children don't internalize that like there's something wrong with them or that everybody needs to like them or they're not allowed to push boundaries because those are normal, natural, healthy parts of growing up. And also I have two very strong-willed children, which I guess my mom and Tim say that they get that from me. Although I don't know. I don't experience myself that way. (laughs) And so there's a lot of independence and there's a lot of boundary pushing. And I have had to learn how to like fall in love with that part of my, of my kids and really appreciate that. And really love that about them rather than feeling triggered by that all the time. Right. Then maybe that's pushing you to fall in love with that part of yourself too. Totally. Yes, for sure. For sure. Um, I also would love to hear more about your doula training. And (gasps) yeah, I mean, I just think it's so amazing that you're doing that. And I want to hear about what motivated you to do that and kind of like where you see that going. Yes. So when I was an attorney, I, and I was feeling very, um, very like curious about people who loved their work and very curious about people who followed their passions and loved what they, and loved what they did, including attorneys who loved working as attorneys and also people in other career paths as well. Um, I started to, I started to like learn about different people and, you know, like listen to different podcasts, read blogs were like very, very big at the time, read different blogs. And I stumbled upon a woman named Latham Thomas and she just, was such a huge inspiration to me. I would read like interviews with her and see articles about her and she was and is a doula. And I was just absolutely like enthralled, intrigued, and so drawn into her energy. And hearing her talk about birth work was um, just incredibly inspiring to me not because I was interested in doing birth work and I wasn't at the time. Um, it was not even like a drop of an interest to me, but because she was doing something that she loved and was so passionate about. And I was just very, um, drawn to that energy and that clarity and that sense of purpose and started following her work and have loved to follow along with her work and with her story ever since. Um, and that was like nine years ago. Um, and then I left the practice of law and became a health coach and an intuitive eating counselor and really started to shift my career and get into the work of helping women heal their relationships with food and body and release perfectionism And at the end of the day, just really learn how to cultivate a relationship with themselves that was based in, on the foundation of self-trust and compassion and self-connection. And so 
through that work and then when I had Osh, when I became a mom, I worked with a doula and I just had this moment after I had given birth where I was like, oh my gosh, all of the work that I do with women that's not necessarily around birth, but around like self-connection with their bodies and trusting their bodies and trusting like their truth. It's so magnified during like birth and postpartum. Oh my God, totally. And it really it's felt like you have like, no control over your body. Yes. And it's but so much have to feel connected. Right. Yes. Um, and it just felt like, oh my gosh, I had this moment where I was like, women are these just magical beings that carry the universe inside of them. Like, I just felt like I had this moment of like awakening to the, like to female, um, I don't even know like what the word is. I don't know what word encompasses it more than just like, like to the feminine power almost. Yeah. Yes. And just this like, like the magic. Totally. Just so magical. And I was like, oh my gosh, I want to, I want to go through um, Latham's Mama Glow, like doula training. I want to do this training. And so she has this amazing, um, this amazing doula business uh, called Mama Glow. And she did these in-person trainings in New York. And I was like, I want to do that someday. Like now is not the time for me to go to New York and to do this like week-long training, but like I want to do it someday. And it wasn't something that I felt any urgency around. It was just like, oh, I can't wait to like learn from her and to be in her presence and to really go deeper around um, the female body when it comes to like labor and delivery and birth and postpartum and all of that. And I just felt like that's, that was an interest that I wanted to explore more. Um, and you know, years went by and I just continued, continued to like soak up her work and her messages and her voice. And, um, then when COVID hit, she announced that Mama Glow was going to do the training virtually and they were calling it homeschool. And I was like, this oh, amazing. is so meant to be. And there were so many things that lined up um, with it. So for a while, I've known that I wanted to transition in my business away from the six-month private coaching and mm-hmm. to a slightly different way of serving the women in my community. Um, but private coaching also was so fulfilling and it was like such a big part of my business. And then when COVID happened, when COVID hit, um, everything kind of shifted and parts of my business really slowed down and then other parts started to pick up. And Mm -hmm. I had this like almost moment of pause in my business. And then she announced the training and it literally felt like God had carved out this space and time for me to do this training. That's amazing. So interesting is that I had done the these two card readings um in the past like over the past couple years and in both of the card readings the person had said um I just really feel like motherhood is going to be a big part of your business and I was like (laughs) but it's like it's not you know like I right we're sitting there hearing this and I was like that's like okay yeah I mean I'm not like I don't focus on moms like I that's not my thing like motherhood's not my thing that's not my focus And it like came up and they were like, it's in both of these readings by two different people. They were like, it's just really strong. Like there's something with motherhood here. And I was like, okay, I think that we're just seeing like my own motherhood, you know? Right. Um, And then because you identify strongly with being a mom. I do. I love it. And I also have, I also felt and feel like a call to serve all, all women. And I think all women mother, um, I think all women are very like mothering. Like there's like a mothering energy to women and you don't have to be a quote unquote mom to, to do that. And I never felt like I'm only going to serve people who identify like as moms. Um, and I still think that that's true. And also I think that there is this part of my business now in my work that is very much focused on that. 
And I just mm-hmm. didn't see it coming. And it was like all these things clicked into place. And now I went back and went through this doula training. Um, I did level one and level two. So pregnancy and birth and then also postpartum. And I've started seeing clients because for oh wow I finished my training, but for my certification, I need to work with um, a couple of moms and so a couple of women on their motherhood journey journeys. And so and I shouldn't just say just women, people on their on their motherhood journeys. And I have been working with these clients and I just feel so like lit up. It's like this feeling of that's I, so that's like the best feeling ever. Yes. And when I was in the training, like in this training with these 80 plus women, like learning from Latham, I just felt this sense of every time we would come to class, I was just like, this is meant to be, this is meant to be, this is meant to be. And it was such a beautiful experience and such a beautiful community. And I just really, in the work that I do, I want women to feel held and I, I want to nurture like it's like, I want to nurture the nurturer and whether that is like through movement or through, um, working with women on their motherhood journeys, whatever it might be. Like, I just really want to be this soft place for them to land. And it's felt so cool to have this deeper understanding around, um, birth and, postpartum time and of course like I've gone through the experience myself but yeah just like the level of knowledge that has been like revealed to me through these trainings is has been incredible um and I think you can know something on an intellectual level and then you can know something on a deep level and I feel totally like like going in your body yes and I feel like the training allowed me to have like the intellectual understanding to connect to the deep knowing. And that's been so cool. Um, And I have this dream of creating some kind of offering and I don't know how it will play out, but I really want to create an offering where I help provide financial support to female entrepreneurs so that they can take a maternity leave Um, So for female entrepreneurs who are not able to, for financial reasons, to take at least three months of maternity leave um, to help to provide them um, funds and support so that they can have that much needed time to rest and to heal and to connect with their their babies. Um, That is something that I'm really, that I'm really passionate about. And, um, I've already been able to gift like a handful of moms, um, with some, with some financial support and that's felt amazing. That's amazing. And so that's like a long-term vision for like the birth work that I want to bring into my business. And I just really love the idea of supporting women postpartum, um, with all of like the healing and the changes that they're going through physically, emotionally, mentally, in terms of like their identity, all of that, just like holding them through those beautiful transitions. And I do feel that like the financial component is something that um, like can't be overlooked in the conversation because the reality is that, you know, more than 50 I think it's like more than 50% of new moms go back to work in less than in in less than 4 weeks, I think. Oh wow. That's a crazy stat. Yeah, it's less than 4 weeks or less than 8 weeks. I'm like I have mom brain right now and I can't remember the exact stat. But <laughs> very soon, like more than 50% of people are going back into the workforce before their I mean before their body has even had a chance to heal. And so right. I think so, so much um, essential healing and connection and so much of the process has to be like fast forwarded through because of that. And I just want, again, like going back to the time and space, like I just want women to have the time and the space that they need to to go through that process, to go through that transition. And it does take time and it does require space. 
And unfortunately, like having that time and space has become like a privilege. Right, for sure. And it's so important to have it not only to connect with your baby, but also to connect with yourself. Because I can imagine, I mean, I don't have kids, but I can imagine that it's very easy to lose yourself as a new new mom. Totally. Yes. It's just, there's so, there's so much going on and you're sleep deprived and you're figuring out feeding and you're like getting to know this new person. And I just want other women to not to have to feel like this is too soon. This is too much. I want them to feel like, oh my gosh, I have space and I have time. And that's something that I want to really like weave in to this, to this work. I love that. That's such a gift to give that to somebody too. I know I just keep saying this over and over again, but I just feel like there isn't a lot of space and time for anything right now. Like definitely not. We just all feel so rushed. And even, I mean, it's funny. It's like, even right now, you know, like when we're having this conversation, it's, we're in the middle of a pandemic and things have in some ways slowed down, um, in, because of, because of COVID and because of this time, but even still, like even in the middle of a pandemic, people feel overwhelmed. And so I think that that just, that just speaks to the level of, the level of production that is expected of each individual um, is, I think, you know, really it's, I think it's taking a lot of, um, a lot of those like magical moments of connection and a lot of those, even just like the not magical moments of like feeling our really hard feelings. It's like people don't feel like they have time to feel their feelings. I know. People I don't know. And it causes people to, to just through. suppress them. Totally. I, totally. I, I didn't feel like I had time to, like, I didn't feel like I had time to take a maternity leave after, after Osh was born. I didn't feel like I had time to, take off and like fully grieve my dad, you know, like just from a, from a perspective of like, you've got to get back to work. You have to, you have to stay relevant, relevant. You have to produce, you have to make money. And that, I mean, that is a real, that's a real part of life. And I think it's a real thing that so many of us feel and experience. And I'm not saying that all of that is bad, but I think that there has to be there has to be an acknowledgement um, that many of us need more time and space for different things in our lives than we have currently. Yes, it's so true. I have there's two stories that come to mind for me specifically on that point. One, when I started my clerkship last year, I started in May, I think, or at the end of May, and my grandfather passed away. So I was in Hawaii and got back. I was flying back from Hawaii because I had like four days in between my job and starting my clerkship. So I went to Hawaii for like three or four nights, which was amazing. But I was flying back and landed at LAX at, I think it was like around midnight on technically Monday morning, like the day I was going to start my clerkship. And I get a call from my dad right when I land and my grandpa hadn't been doing well. And so I knew what the call was. And he said that I should come to the hospital to say goodbye. So I went straight from the airport to Cedars, the hospital that he was at in LA. I get to the hospital at like, I don't know, 1.30 in the morning. And he passes away at like an hour after I get there. So I was like with him when he passed, which was a beautiful moment to witness. I mean, incredibly painful, but just, I felt really honored that I was there. And then at 7.30 in the morning, I was in chambers starting my first day of my clerkship. Yep. So it was like five hours later after experiencing this like deeply painful death and also like watching a person die is, I like almost passed out because it Mm -hmm. was just, there was just so many emotions But then I had to compartmentalize all of those feelings in like five hours. Yep. Which was just a wild thing. Like I I felt like, you know, it was my first day. I couldn't not go. I couldn't say I'm going to come tomorrow. But that was like this societal pressure that was 
put on me. And I don't know if in many other cultures, I, I don't think that that I would have felt that pressure. Totally. And I think that this is such an important, like such an important point that how we were talking about, you know, earlier in our conversation, learning how to feel your feelings, right? Like learning how to acknowledge your feelings and process through them and all of that. And for most people, it's like, yeah, there's the personal relationship with yourself where you have to learn and develop and take ownership over healthy coping mechanisms and all of that. And also we're individuals, we're people operating within a society and a, and a cultural and cultural narratives. And so it's like, we might have the personal coping skills to be like, I can feel this, but then also you might have to turn around three hours later and go to work. Right. Totally. And, to and then I just individual. And I think sometimes like we can feel like it's all our response. It's like, oh, it's all my responsibility. It's all on me. But there's also like the inner, the interconnectedness of our, of our culture and our societal, our societal expectations and all of that, that absolutely plays into it. Right. Totally. And it wasn't until like a year later when I finished my clerkship and I remember, so I had broken up with my ex in February and finished my clerkship in May of this year. So there was like a three month period where I was still compartmentalizing a lot of feelings. And then I think the week after I finished my clerkship, I just had like a few days of like just this heaviness, which I think it was the breakup combined with like everything else that had happened in the past year, because for the whole year, I didn't allow myself to feel to really, really feel the feelings Mm -hmm. because I had to work so much basically. Although the experience was amazing, just clerking was great. And like, you know, I wouldn't have done it a different way, but you, when I fully gave myself permission to feel it like really, really weighed heavy. Yes. And you needed, you needed that time and that space to like, to let it come out, to let it come up. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, I also love to hear about, you talked about this deep knowing with the doula training. What does that feel like in your body? I think for me, it feels like, I guess it sounds like I, I have to do this. Like this is this feeling of like, this is, this is meant for me right now. And I, I love think that. different people experience, experience um, things in different ways. And for me, I like hear things in my mind. Like I hear like an inner dialogue, right? So I think some people would say, oh, it feels like this physical sensation. Or some people would say like, I envision something, like I see something. But for me, it's almost always this inner dialogue that says, I I have to do this. Like I don't have a choice. I'm just taking a breath because that's very powerful. So I have some quick fire questions. And these are just meant to be like, not require too much thought and sort of the first answer that comes to your mind. The first one, what book are you reading right now? Well, I'm reading um, a book for my doula training. I have a stack of like 10 books that I have to, (laughs) um, (laughs) that I have to get through. And this one is um, all about like labor, delivery, and postpartum time. So it's just like a very in-depth, like medical look at all the things that are happening to the female body during those, during those times. <laughs> awesome. What was the last meal that you had? This morning I had, um, oatmeal and bacon. Oh, when you imagine your happy place, where is it? My happy place is on the beach with my family. I love being on the beach and I miss it so much because 
we had actually had two trips planned like during the during the COVID time, like to the beach that we had to cancel. Um, oh, no. One would have been over the summer and one we go we go every year for like Christmas and New Year's together um, for two weeks. And so both of those got canceled. So I'm missing it and looking forward to a time where we can be where we can be back there again. I hope soon. And whenever you come to visit L.A., we can go to the beach. L.A. is happening as soon as as like soon as this is done. I cannot wait to get to come out and visit you. Awesome. I'm so excited. If you could speak to yourself 15, 20 years ago with the knowledge that you have now, what would you say? Oh my gosh. I feel like I would just say, um, be gentle, be gentle to yourself. I love that. I try to tell myself that every day. Your voice is sitting on my shoulder. It's not <laughs> Janet. It's Simi. I'll, I'll say it we'll, we'll say it to each other. <laughs> And my last one, since we've been talking so much about being undefined, what definitions do you feel are true to you? I think for me right now, the definitions that feel um, that feel really true to me are um, like being a mom, being a mother. That feels like a big, a like a big defining thing in my life right now. Um, and I don't know, I guess like being, um, being a, like a nurturer. I feel like that's something that I really, that I really feel like defines me in a positive way right now, not just for my kids, but like for myself and for the women who I'm lucky enough to get to work with. Right. Totally. And you've trans transitioned the people pleasing into being a nurturer in such in a way that feels so authentic totally and I think a big part of that is remembering that like that is for me too not just for other people right totally and lastly where can we all find you my name is Simi Bodich. So SimiBodich.com. Um, I'm on Instagram at Simi Bodich. And then Unmeasured is on Instagram at Movement Unmeasured. Awesome. And I'll link to all of that stuff Thank in the show notes. Thank you so much. Yeah, this was so great. Thank you so much. I loved it. Loved getting to hang out with you, Marissa. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Simi. Her energy is totally infectious. And as I said at the beginning, she basically feels like a giant hug, which is always nice. I love hugs. And if you want to keep following her, which I recommend you do, her Instagram is at Simi Bodich and her unmeasured bar Instagram is at movement unmeasured. Her website is also Simi Bodich and you can sign up for her newsletter. She sends awesome emails, not too frequently, like the perfect amount and they're always very insightful and I truly love when she pops into my inbox and I'll also include those links in the show notes as well as the other links of things we talked about today and as always please subscribe to the pod and leave a review because I know that you love it so much so I will talk to you all in two weeks